what may have come up in the nineties. But again, I can't, you can't, nobody ever says, oh, I was really influenced by Paris. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it doesn't happen. Yeah. My parents didn't have any Zeppelin records. It was all Paris at our household. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the house I want to yeah. grow up in. <laughs> Welcome to I'd Buy That for a Dollar, a podcast about inexpensive, common, and underappreciated records that are waiting to be rediscovered. I'm your host, Sean Hartman. I'm joined today by co-host, ethnographic ice cream author, Peter Cook. Ice cream for ice cream. And, uh, of course, Tibet's foremost Pokemon interpreter, Jeremy Ruggles. Ohm. (laughs) And... We have a special third guest today who is a, among other things, a gray market sand negotiator, Chris Zania. Sand is on the up. <laughs> That's what it. I'm hearing. <laughs> sand is making a comeback, just like vinyl. <laughs> I don't like sand. <laughs> Chris is here to cash in on both trends. <laughs> Got all of his bases covered. Chris, do you have any other interests, any other pursuits aside from handling the gray market? Besides pounding sand, Sean, um... <laughs> I work for Kazoo Audio, which is a, a audio video store here in town, Kalamazoo. Which uh, Kazoo is a an abbreviation of Kalamazoo. I think so. Oh. People listening around the world will not be confused. Okay. I, I think you've already clarified more about Kalamazoo than we have in seventeen, eighteen episodes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure most people are baffled just by us saying the word Kalamazoo. I think that's baffling True. to most people. Yeah, it's one of those things where people that live here don't necessarily think about how weird of a city name it actually is. And then every once in a while, someone from out of town will come in and be like, Kalamazoo, this is so weird. Didn't know this place existed. What a strange name. I'm like, oh, True. okay. So, Chris, if you had many people coming in asking for kazoos, is that a thing anybody is confused yet? No, they haven't. But an uh, enterprising young man uh, that owns a kazoo manufacturing company sent us a personalized kazoo That's looking awesome. <laughs> to see if we would buy 500 of them and did you no okay <laughs> i think you should reconsider he sent another sample that had the uh logo for the beet farmers on it weird <laughs> it is the beet farmers went out and must have bought a lot of kazoos at some point huh like literal beats that people eat or i don't no, know the, the band beat farmers oh, i don't know that the band farmers <laughs> 80s children anyone no no we're all too young for that sorry <laughs> <laughs> did you bring us a record you're supposed to show up with a record i assume you did it's on the turntable yes i brought a a wonderful record exemplifies the uh the standard of this show it's called paris it's self-titled I would say in a lot of ways, this is kind of a quintessential record for this show. It's extremely common, extremely cheap, interesting backstory, and surprisingly good content. It's, it's It checks all the boxes. I'm excited for this episode. And I think a lot of people would see it in a record store and not know what it is. Yeah. yeah. It's fairly nondescript. Mm-hmm. Uh, so do we want to, is there a certain track you would like to start with? We'll start with the first track on the first side. All right. And that would be Black Book. 
Black Book. All right. open and you better jump back Rocking. Yeah, it seems to become a tradition where after the first clip we find out how Jeremy feels because he's the only one that seems to dislike some of the stuff that's on here. So, Jeremy, how do you feel so far? Are you typically unimpressed? Well, as the only non-yes man co-host who just says, yes, everything's great, I got opinions, that was pretty good. That rocked. Okay. I think that was our first taste of rock and roll. Yeah, we we had that realization. We're not we haven't done a lot of rock and roll albums on here. Well, I think that also it might be that how many rock albums that sound like this can you find in the bins for very inexpensive? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't collect classic rock as much. <laughs> <laughs> there's probably some rainbow albums that go for pretty cheap. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> it's not a genre that's typically under celebrated very often. That's true. I mean, yeah, the, the people who are collecting this era of music, at least the people that I meet commonly in this area, are all looking for classic rock and hard rock, mm-hmm. which is interesting because I don't hear people talking about this band ever. And this, you know, this would fit in really well with more people's taste than they realize. So let's let's dive in some more. Yeah, Chris, what is this, yeah, Chris? What can you tell us about this record? Well, would you believe that the guitar player and lead singer is none other than Bob Welch? And who is that? From Fleetwood Mac? Fleetwood Mac's Bob Welch. Oh. Got yeah. rather fed up with Fleetwood Mac. I'll and... believe it because I have to. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, you, I bet you know all about their drama. Oh, I know. Everybody knows about Fleetwood Mac's drama. They put it all over their albums. <laughs> yeah. How, yeah. how long was Bob in Fleetwood Mac? Was he like an original member? Or he had joined later on, do you know? He joined later on. Okay. Yeah, I think it was 71 to 74. Okay, so not a terribly long run with the band, but... And is he the one singing there? Is he like he the is. lead guy? He's okay. lead singer, lead guitar. Wow. 
Yeah, that's pretty uh, lo-fi kind of rock and roll for, you said this was 1976, this Paris album, is that correct? It's, it's I mean, I, it's, it's funny because the production values are almost more like punk rock, even though it's very clearly like a classic rock sound. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't uh, come across too well. I mean, it's, it's lo-fi for sure. It's kind of crunchy, compressed. Is there any reason, is the, do you know how he recorded it? I don't have too much information on how it was recorded, but it was produced by a uh, guy named Jimmy Robinson. And Jimmy was working with uh, Led Zeppelin on uh, a couple of their albums and later met Bob Welsh's sister, fell in love and got married. Oh, Oh. And uh, Bob was living with them when he decided to leave Fleetwood Mac. And with Jimmy decided that maybe the best thing to do would be to form a power trio. Yeah, it, has, it definitely <laughs> has that power trio sound. And that's the way you, you deal with leaving Fleetwood Mac, mm-hmm. form a power trio. What, uh, what Zeppelin record was around this time period? I'm not... A huge fan, so I'm not familiar Houses with the chronology. The Holy, okay, Sean. would it be around Houses of the Holy? Yeah, Where, I mean that that song was obviously had a a Zeppelin vibe to it. So I was just kind of wondering what the direct comparison was of what the two bands were doing at that time. Oddly enough, Jimmy Robinson was also really good friends with uh, Jimi Hendrix. Okay, and uh, worked with him and the band of Gypsies on their live recordings. Okay, so he. Also worked with Jimmy at uh, Electric Lady, and from there started producing as well as engineering. And as you see, they formed a a power trio with uh, Glenn Cornick on bass. And Glenn is a former bass player for Jethro Tull. Okay. And Tom Mooney on drums, who played with Todd Rundgren and the Naz. Nice. Uh, Okay, that makes sense. It's got classic rock bona fides. It's almost a super group, really. Yeah, and it's it seems to be a super group that has been completely overlooked, as far as I can tell. Yeah. I, I honestly don't think I've ever heard someone bring up this band. No, I... Outside of this circle of people in this room right now. Would Kind of going back to the origins of this show, and Sean and I worked at Corner Record Shop Kalamazoo. Yes, as we, did Chris. As did Chris. Right before I started there, apparently, I, I learned tonight. And Sean and I were going through the bins, figuring out what all these unknown to us LPs were. And Paris is one that I definitely remember. It really stood out because the name and the cover is fairly nondescript. I put it on and was suddenly getting some really raw classic rock vibes. And, you know, we were doing a little research into each record and found out it was related to Fleetwood Mac, which totally blew my mind. Mm Mm-hmm. And so when you said that this was your pick, I was excited because I really haven't, it's been six or five or six years since I listened to it. And uh, I, hearing that one track, I, I dig it. It's, I, and I think that I, honestly, the lo-fi lends itself to it in a way. Yeah. I think oftentimes like the more highly produced a record is, the less it ages well because it, it dates it strongly. But sometimes when people are going for a more rough around the edges approach, it somehow ages better. It almost gives it like a finding your uncle's band that he was in when he was a teenager tapes in the basement kind of feeling <laughs> yeah. to it. I could also see in that era making it sound different. If it, I feel like if it was more produced, I guess, that people would 
just call them like a Led Zeppelin knockoff. There's definitely some parallels there, but the kind of stripped down production, I think, gives it a different feel and sound. Yeah, and some of the other tracks in the album definitely stray even farther from Led Zeppelin comparisons, so we'll get into that later. They did get a, a bit of a tag as as being art rock, and there's a couple tracks that go that direction a bit, but certainly would not call them art rock. You were mentioning the cover is nondescript, and people would certainly pass this by thinking that you know the, the name Paris, the way it's stylized, would be an album full of show tunes. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Um, yeah, I presumed like failed disco record when I saw it. Yeah, you flip it over, you see the band, and they have a uh, a look between uh, Elton John and Brian Eno. Can't quite make out their faces, and you really have no idea other than it says uh, guitar vocals Robert Welch. They didn't call it Robert Welch's Paris, which may be a huge marketing problem. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so R- rumors was is the same year as this, isn't it? Or is rumors a little later? I think rumors a little later. Is it more mm-hmm. late seventy seven or seventy eight? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I was just trying to think of what Fleetwood Mac would have been releasing around this time. But anyway, we're talking about Paris. So uh, yeah, we wanted to go to another. Is there another selection you'd like to play next? Give us a more feel for this record. Let's do another hook heavy hard rocking song. It's the second song right after. The one we played here, it's called Religion. Now I might have took the priesthood, but I ran into Don Juan. I dropped the claw.
Is there some dive bar action happening in yeah. there? Yeah, <laughs> that's usually the track I had, I had played for people when I was telling them about this record, because it starts off with the obvious Zeppelin comparison and then just takes off into another dimension with the real, almost Acid Mother's Temple-like psychedelic guitar experimentation. I think that's one of the standout tracks for me on this album, Totally, for sure. I'm, I'm remembering it now that we got into it, and yeah, I don't know if they're doing like reverse echo on that or if it's a phaser, but... With that lo-fi quality, it's very psychedelic sounding. Mm -hmm. I noticed in the guitar tone in particular, there's almost like a digital tone to it Mm -hmm. that I can't really put my finger on, but I don't know if you have some information. Is that There's a bit of keyboard in there that I think they were uh, experimenting with. Okay. So the the bass player was also playing keyboard. At the same time? I think they had some way of over... (laughs) Okay. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever heard of the concept of multi-tracking. I have always presumed that the other end of this chord goes right into microphones where the band is waiting to play me the songs. <laughs> it, it, you're, uh, you just cue them up and they do it. Yeah, when you hit play, like a green light comes on and they're like, okay, here we go again. It's hard being a musician. Yeah, poor Bob Welch has been trapped in that room for <laughs> 50 years now or something. <laughs> well, that's a great track, though. Yeah, that was a ripper. I think that was around the time when I was first listening to this. I, I went to Sean and was like, you got to check this out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. They did a second album. Bob says that uh, it nearly bankrupted him. These albums were not well received. They didn't sell. And he was left without much money at all. And... His uh, former bandmates of Fleetwood Mac sort of picked him back up again and got him uh, on track to his solo recording career, which was very successful. Again, I mean, he leaves Fleetwood Mac. If you have been following any of his music in the middle of the midlife of Fleetwood Mac, this is such a big departure for him. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's a good guitarist. I don't think he's maybe a great guitarist, but he's a very competent guitarist that had a lot of jazz influence in his life in some of his other earlier work you can hear that i think again kind of thrown into maybe what the producer thought was a a hot market i mean this is a at a time in the mid-70s where you had some real hard rock success from bands like kiss i hear elements in other songs on here that that remind me of aerosmith toys in the attic came out at about the same time and i hear uh you know some joe perry type uh, licks in here for sure. I'd like to go to another track if we could. This is uh, actually my favorite song. This is probably the song that gets them that art rock label. It reminds me too a bit of uh, Led Zeppelin. It's um, yeah, it's the first song on the second side called Narrow Gate. Washed on the beach with legend. 
Yeah, I like that riff right there, and I was trying to place it, and then Chris commented on it having a rush vibe to it, and totally right there, that section when they shifted into that. Uh, the, fir- the first half, I was hearing more of the Japanese psychedelic rock vibes that you kind of referenced with Acid Mother's Temple earlier, Sean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I can definitely hear some of the Todd Rudgren comparisons as well. I think when we first listened to Paris years ago, I hadn't listened to really much Todd I hadn't either at, at all, time. and... Uh, since then, people have kind of forced me to dive back in on Todd Rundgren, and some of his stuff is super interesting and, and touches in a lot of different musical genres like this. A Wizard, A True Star is an amazing album. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's rocking, but it's a little more intelligent and experimental <laughs> than some of the other rock that was happening. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's really interesting with Paris. Like they, We've listened to, what, three tracks now, and... There's some elements that they, I think they, you know, we can definitely kind of comment on other contemporary bands that they sound like, but they seem more overall experimental than Mm -hmm. any of those. Yeah, they were kind of trying to forge their own trail for a little bit. Unsuccessfully, it seems, but uh, you you wonder, you know, it may have been unsuccessful at the time, but what was the influence aside from that? Well, I hear quite a bit of the 90s stoner rock and some of these hard riffs that they have. We might get to another track that showcases that, but uh, you can't say that that any of these '90s rock bands said, "Oh, Paris was the album that launched my career." Yeah, <laughs> it really. I put it on, I took it home, put it on, and saw the light. Todd Rundgren <laughs> saw the light. Yeah, <laughs> but you never know. I mean, that was kind of a common thing. I know with a lot of those '90s bands was kind of 
looking back at the previous era of classic rock and finding the stuff that still resonated. You know, Neil Young experienced a renaissance in his career at that time period. Mm -hmm. So it's entirely possible that some of those uh, grunge boys were digging on some Paris. I don't think so. No, (laughs) not possible. (laughs) Um, Did you find this? You found this like more recently or did you know this from like? Yeah, when when we worked at the record store together, I would see the album a couple times a day, never really paid attention and then finally listened to it and was rather blown away. So this is more like that like gold record they sent into space with like the message of humanity on it. I feel like- I said Paris out there. (laughs) Yeah, like these bargain, some of these bargain bin records like, these artists sent these messages out and they didn't hit it all at the time. And now they're just like sitting in these bargain bins and we're here to receive them now. Yeah. It happened right. To, right, several, years, several <laughs> years later. I came across it again, you know, for $3 knew instantly what it was and, and snapped it up. So it's out there. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that happens a lot where you see a record so often and you maybe have a, first impression of what you think it sounds like, or maybe you've heard one song by that artist before, and it's really easy to develop this association with that where you just assume that you know what it sounds like or assume that you're not going to like it. And I've done this plenty of times where I'll kind of have a realization that, you know, I actually have no idea what that record sounds like. I just think I know what it sounds like. And sometimes you're spot on with the assumptions and sometimes, like with this record, you drop the needle and it turns out it's far more interesting than you ever thought possible. So we, we challenge you out there. Think of a couple records that you've seen a bunch and don't actually know what they sound like. And, you know, give them a try next time. You might enjoy it. Yeah. Herbie Mann. Push, exactly. push. <laughs> exactly. I just noticed this is on Capitol also. It's a, obviously, it, it almost sounds to me more like a private press type of deal. Sure. <laughs> Something you expect, obviously, with the heavy hitters that are actually playing on it, that's not the case. But it's all, it almost feels like something meant to seem obscure and to be discovered later. <laughs> In outer space. I don't think that was their intention. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, he, Bob Welch knew he would be on a podcast. <laughs> it's all worth it. It's, we finally completed his legacy for him. <laughs> So what would you like, what's the heavy stoner Fu Manchu vibes you would like to uh, bestow upon our listeners and yeah, as well as us? Take a listen to, to Breathless.
Yeah, I like that. Groover. Heavy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 90s Groover. I, I could feel my eyes drooping as I listened to it. <laughs> a little bit menacing, though. That kind of a raw energy to it, like we've talked about before. Yeah, that's good. Good yeah. album. Yeah, the other ones had a little more of dynamics in different sections. That one kind of just stayed in that one. That one spot, they were influenced by Bohannon on that one. Just stayed in that. <laughs> Keep on the groove. <laughs> you guys don't know this, but Peter's trying to work Bohannon into every single one of our episodes. Ooh, is that a future uh, trivia question? How many times has Peter referenced Bohannon throughout the podcast? <laughs> True. Yeah, I'm dropping nuggets all over the place. It's Easter eggs. Easter eggs. Nuggets is a psychedelic music compilation. Future BuzzFeed article. Ten <laughs> Easter eggs found in the I'd Buy That for a Dollar podcast that'll blow your mind. <laughs> How many times we talk about Jeremy hating One Night in Paris? <laughs> but not this Paris. You don't hate this Paris, do you, Jeremy? No. Yeah, no. I'm going to write a HuffPo article about how terrible One Night in Paris is, though. So. <laughs> I'm sure it will be published. <laughs> Harsh. <laughs> Well, anyway, Chris, uh, yeah, did you? Is that one of the tracks that you really dig on this record? It is. Yeah. It is a great it, one. It's uh, forward thinking. Yeah, I mean, to think that's 1976 by a guy who was in Fleetwood Mac, pretty awesome. He did his best. <laughs> <laughs> well, the four of us are fans. Now, all yeah. of our listeners are too, so you're welcome, Bob. Unfortunately, I don't think Bob's around anymore. You're welcome, Bob's estate. Yeah. Chris, any, any closing thoughts? Anything you'd like to tell us about yourself at all? Any plugs for the people? Well, check out uh, kazooaudio.com, K-A-Z-O-O. Check out our store. Love to set up turntables. That's my thing. Really into making people's vinyl collection sound as good as possible. Okay. Are there any dollar uh, records shine. Yeah. Any websites for this business or maybe an address or You already said it. Kazoo Audio. Dot com. Dot com. Okay. It's like you're not even listening. I was Kazoo. <laughs> so I heard a rumor that you may even be doing your own podcast at some point. Is this, is this true? It's true. Yeah. Okay. I'm working on it now. As uh, yet unnamed. Unnamed, but it's going to revolve around appreciation of music, what music means to the person I'm interviewing, and uh, hopefully dig a little deeper into how music helps people in their daily life. <laughs> and, <Sorry. laughs> uh, and how much animals appreciate music and on what level right how many dogs are you going to be interviewing on your podcast <laughs> zero <laughs> interesting i might interview a cat what it's an untapped market in the podcast world i think that's true you could be you could be onto something with this bark cast <laughs> <laughs> Well, we will be sure to share the links via our social media once the podcast is up and running. So be on the lookout for that. <laughs> I think it's Orson saying it's time for us to close this episode down. This has been another fine episode of I'd Buy That for a Dollar. I'm Sean Hartman. I am Peter Cook. And I'm Jeremy Ruggles. I'm Chris Zania. Chris, what would you like us to go out on? Let's what? play track three on side one. Star Cage. Awesome. Thank you very much for being here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of I'd Buy That for a Dollar. You can always find more episodes on our website. It is I'd Buy That Podcast. Com. There's no punctuation or anything like that in there. Just I'd buy that podcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook as well as Instagram. If you search I'd buy that podcast, you will find us there. We'd also love for you to write a review of our show on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you find these on. We'd love to get your feedback. So appreciate it. Thank you very much. You can always find us on patreon.com slash I'd buy that podcast. No punctuation or spaces or anything in there either. And that's all we got to say. So thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. Yeah. Stock page, stock page.